I think there are two main factors. You know, one is uh, economic, socioeconomic, and uh, you know, even the middle class and the and the and the even low middle class, forty class, had a lot of problem with prices, with the uh, value-added tax. They call it the GST here, goods and services tax, as well as the drop in the value of the ringgit saw the the prices of goods going up. At the same time, the various policies of the government has led to uh, escalation of house, housing prices. Uh, there's also a lot of student debt. So the people felt very pressured by the economy, pressured economically. That was one, one major factor. And the other major factor is the financial scandal, the, the, the one MDB scandal, where the prime minister is believed to have taken money from a government-linked company and has used it for political purposes. Uh, and that, of course, Mr. Najib has denied that. But a lot of people feel that he's been bluffing on that issue. And that, and that led to a severe undermining of his credibility. So these are the two main factors that have led to this swing walks away from him. Just to go a little more into the question of uh, corruption, as you say, of course, Malaysia has been in the news in recent years chiefly because of the alleged epic-scale corruption of departing Prime Minister Najib Razak. He's reported to have stolen some six billion Australian dollars from one MDB, Malaysia's sovereign wealth fund. Among his booty is a two hundred and fifty million dollar super yacht replete with its own swimming pool, movie theatre, and a beauty salon, are almost beyond the comprehension of most ordinary people. Explain to our listeners the nature of this corruption, more particularly how Najib has managed to operate, essentially as a criminal, while at the same time ruling a country. Well, I guess one, one, one factor is that there's, there's tremendous concentration of powers in the person of the prime minister, you know, um, in, the, in, in appointing, for example, the uh, head of the uh, corruption, anti-corruption agency, in terms of appointing the attorney general. So you can actually reappoint people, you can, you know, you can sack people. So in the course of the last one year, he has sacked several people, you know. You know, including the Attorney General, the uh, Chairman of the Bank Nagara. You know, whenever anyone seems to be moving in the direction of of, of um, investigating him seriously, he has uh, removed them. So that's one factor. And the other factor is because in Malaysia, the 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 ruling government, the Barisan National, and especially AMNO, is seen by the majority population, the Malays, as a major protector. Of, of, of Malay interests and Malay economic rights. So people still see that government, that, that party as is important. So then these factors help to keep him in power. Coming back to Mahathir's opposition coalition, you mentioned uh, the GST and uh, Mahathir has promised to roll back uh, the GST and the, the opposition coalition was founded on centre parties and even centre-left parties. It does seem that there's an element of a populist turn by Mahathir. He was, of course, associated with authoritarian rule in the 1980s and 90s and actually repressed the Reformasi uh, movement. Would you argue that there's a kind of an element of left populism to the opposition coalition. Do you think Mahathir's politics have really changed since he was last in power? Well, I think it's populism, but I don't think it's very left, you know? I mean, if you go to... I mean, the underlying structure, you know, um, and, and the underlying policies regarding privatisation, where you think every public public good can be provided 
by uh, by means by means by true businesses. You know, those kinds of things. I wonder if they really have changed. You know, so I don't think it's a left pop, but I think it's populism. But it's not a very um, well deeply consistent kind of populism. In a sense, for example, they're giving they're going to make a highway tolls. Are they going to do away with them or going to cut them down the highway tolls? They're going to make ownership of private cars easier by cutting down the prices of cars. They're going to make petrol cheaper. All these things go against, you know, uh, reducing our, you know, carbon, carbon footprint. And so it's not very well considered. You know, it's not it's not a well formulated program. It's just populist. The Malaysian Socialist Party is a minor player in national politics, but your campaign coordinator, popularly known as Aral, has said that, and I quote, there is a growing demand among young voters for a third alternative. They are fed up with the governing and major opposition parties all supporting neoliberal capitalist policies. Tell us a little bit about the level of support the PSM has received. Well, in this election, the electoral support has been dismal. You know, we we didn't we did very badly in the 16 seats which we contested, and uh, I myself, you know, lost my deposit. But I, I would argue that the electoral support doesn't indicate the the level of respect that the that people have for the party, because like in the my constituency, I think there are a lot of people who who respect the work we have done, who who like us, but for them this election was between you know choosing the former regime or the change being promised by Mahadev, and you were seen as somewhat not relevant to the whole process going on, you know, talking of um, better policies, more hardworking candidates. You know, those issues will seem like, you know, we talk about that later, you know, but right now the the issue is, you know, getting rid of this this this, this Najib, this, this, this man who's, you know, squandering the wealth of the country. So that was the the main tenor of the campaign, and uh, we were just swept away wherever we stood because we we offered to stand with the with the uh, Mahadev's coalition as a junior partner, but they wouldn't have us, and so we stood as third party alternatives, which again was seen as uh, not relevant by the population at this time, this point in time. Finally, Dr. Kumar, it seems that politics all around the world is marked chiefly by volatility, the predictability of unpredictability, if you like. So no doubt it's very difficult to forecast exactly where things will go in Malaysia in the wake of this uh, extraordinary result. There are reports that uh, Mahathir, who is, of course, infirm, will hand over power to his uh, former ally and then enemy and now ally again, Anwar Ibrahim. How do you see things going from here? Do you think there'll be a so-called honeymoon period for Mahathir? And what sort of, I suppose, achievements do you think we might see in the Mahathir administration? Well, I think this 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 uh, electoral results opens a new chapter in Malaysian history. This is the first time since independence that the AMNO uh, uh, AMNO is no longer in power at the federal level. That opens a lot of opportunities for desperately needed reform, which uh, the incoming Pakatan Harapan, the, the coalition of hope, if you like, as it's term, uh, has promised to bring. And uh, hopefully some of them can get through. Because um, there's a need for institutional reform. 
there's too much has been too much concentration of power in the executive, you know, in the prime minister as well as in the ministers. So, if the Pakatan Harapan can go ahead and make the changes to make the reforms they have promised, at least some of them, it would help. It would really help. So the our party would take a position of 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 uh, trying to help them in this in this crucial initial period. Because I think, you know, if they don't make the changes early, then the dear leaders are going to get used, get comfortable with that concentration of power, and and, and that's going to lead to, you know, uh, it's going to be a corrupting influence on them. 